question this morning as we begin our service, our actual sermon here. Let me, let me just back up a little bit and ask you this question. How do you react to stress? Is that one of those things that you think, I just soon not have it? I mean, stress is something we all deal with. Well, how do you react to it? How do you react to sudden surprise? I mean, something just all of a sudden, Sonny walked up on me last night. I was studying at my desk. She came up behind me. I don't know how long she was standing there, but all of a sudden there was just this presence behind me, scared the life out of me. I mean, I almost fell down under my desk and hid like a little child. I did say, whoa, didn't I, Sonia? If she'd have touched me, I don't know, it might have been the rapture, I don't know. (laughs) But how do you react to sudden surprise? How do you react even to chronic fatigue? I can tell you this, that many times in moments like that we'll find ourselves acting like Simon Peter did on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember when he woke up and he saw there was Moses and there was Elijah and there was Jesus in his transfigured form and Peter, the Bible says, not knowing what to say, he said. You ever find yourself saying something you didn't mean to say? And I'm not just talking about, whoa, I'm talking about you might say something silly or funny because in, in moments of crisis, your true fear and your true faith will be discovered. God oftentimes lets us go into those times in order that our true faith or our true fear will be exposed. Because we live in a world that I think you'd have to agree with me seems to be spinning out of control more and more and more. And so in a world that is spinning out of control, which I would say that it's not, God's still in control, but how do people typically react to stress, to surprise, to fright? I mean, is it they panic most of the time. Maybe there's anxiety if they're a little older and they've been through a thing or two before. Maybe it's that fear that just kind of is, is there that causes that numbness that turns to depression eventually. Well, listen, friends, our God is still on track. Our God is still on target. Our God is still on his throne. In fact, somebody just said a few days ago, I heard somebody say that there are about three kinds of people in the world. There are those that are afraid, those that don't know enough to be afraid, and those that know their God. Because I'm here to tell you that God can handle all the stress and all the surprise and all the emergencies of our lives. God's never caught off guard. God is never caught by surprise. Even when 4,000 families show up and bring the, for dinner, and they want to stay over for dinner. They, that's what happened. We're going to see here in Mark chapter 8. We're going to go back to our study through the book of Mark, at least for today. Mark chapter number 8, verses 1 through 10 is where we're going to be today. Would your pantry be stretched a little thin if 4,000 families showed up and decided they were going to stay for dinner? I probably would not be able to, 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 to fix that much macaroni and cheese. Although we might have enough Diet Dr. Pepper, I don't know. But they showed up with their families. That actually happened here to Jesus. And let's read it together. And children, as you go through your, your papers here, this is the time for you to be listening, all right? Because here we go as we faithfully investigate the Bible. Verse number 1, this is Mark chapter 8. In those days there was again... Hmm, what does the word again mean? Does that mean there was more than one? It happened before? So this is a second feeding. Hmm, that may or may not be your first line. Again, a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people, because they have remained with me now three days. Hmm, three days. That may or may not be one of the important points of this. Three days, and they have nothing to eat. 
If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place? Hmm, a desolate place. That may or may not be the third line. Here in this desolate place to satisfy these people. And he was asking them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. That might be important. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground which proves that this was not the same feeding, because if you remember in the other feeding back a couple of chapters before, they sat down on the green grass. Well, here they're sitting down on the ground. That's how another way we know it was a remote and desolate place. And so he has them sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. Hmm, that's another line I think I might write down. How many fish? Doesn't say, but just a few. And after he had blessed them, he ordered those to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied, and they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken pieces. And they all ate and were satisfied. Hmm, seven baskets. Hmm, nine, verse nine. About 4,000 were there. That's 4,000 men, we find out from Matthew chapter 15. But there were 4,000. That's another one that may or may not be a line to write down. And he sent them away. And immediately he entered the boat and his disciples and came to the district of Dalmanutha. So he sent them away. He got into a boat. He sailed away. And he went to a place called Dalmanutha. I'll leave the rest of you, that up to you faithful Bible investigators. Now, seems if you... we just I know it's been six months ago since we studied the first feeding around here because I preach so slow. But for these disciples, this was just two chapters ago. This was just a few weeks, maybe a couple of three months ago. So why? <clears throat> I mean, it, it's almost identical to the first feeding. It's, it's only really different in a few numerical differences, the 4,000 rather than the 5,000, the seven baskets full rather than the 12. So why would God give us a second feeding miracle? Why would there be another example of this right here in Scripture so soon after the other one? What's the point? And I believe that by the end of this sermon, you're going to see that the point is that God cares about you. God cares about you individually. God knows you individually. God knows your needs. He cares about you no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, rich or poor, that doesn't matter. He even cares about your next meal. He even cares about your next trip that you might be taking. He cares so much about you, He even cares of whether or not you get a good night's sleep. He cares right down to the very needs of your body. I mean, listen, God cares and God provides. So with that in mind, as we study through this together, as we read this, and, and remembering this, God never does anything for just one reason. Jesus, when he did th something, it was always for more than one reason. If he was healing someone, it was either because he, it was because he was having compassion on that person and it was a sign. He was doing something for someone because he had compassion and love for that person, but it was also a teaching time. So Jesus never did anything for just one reason. Let's see here in the second feeding several things that I think we can discover that God did and why he did it. Because I want you to see that this was what I want to call a provisional miracle. Now, provisional sometimes means it's kind of like this is where we had to meet because we didn't get to go to the main room. <clears throat> That's not what I mean. Provisional means it was a providing. It was a thing of providing. Jesus, in this provisional miracle, is introducing God the Father as Jehovah Jireh. 
Jesus is showing that our God is a provider. And this provisional miracle, indeed all of the provisional miracles of the Lord, it was intended to provide a legitimate need. And what's interesting to me about this one, in the, in the first feeding, the disciples came and said to Jesus, we need to send these people away so they can get some chow. In this one, it wasn't the people that asked for this. It wasn't the disciples that suggested this. No, we find here that it was Jesus himself who wanted to do this. You see, the Lord knew that all those people needed to eat, just like he knows you need to eat. The Lord knew and cared that their need be met, and he wanted to do that both as a form and a showing of his compassion, but also as a teacher. So we can deduce, as faithful Bible investigators do, we can deduce without a doubt that we can trust, we can expect our needs to be met. Many times we need that reminder. As we go out into the world, as we see things going against us, as our, our little way doesn't really kind of work out the way we were expecting it, we need that reminder that, hey, God is still in control. God can handle this. God's going to take care of my needs. Paul, speaking to a church that had been so faithful in giving, he said over in Philippians, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, as you've probably already done, kind of comparing notes as I've already done a little bit, you might have expected the disciples would quickly run their, their minds back to that lesson of the 5,000 and how that worked out and, and all that happened that day, the five loaves, the two fish, the, the 12 baskets, the wonder, and the amazement. That would be the first thing they'd think of, and we know what's about to happen. No, <laughs> not so much. Jesus repeated this miracle, not as a stunt, not as a, just a sign. It was... It was used, and here it's as a teachable moment, but it is a provisional miracle so that these hard-headed, slow-to-get-it disciples would start picking up on what God was trying to teach by these provisional miracles. Now, when I say slow-witted and hard-headed, please, I'm not picking on them because I qualify just like that. There's a lot of times I'm slow-witted and a lot of times I'm hard-headed. And, and so from this, I've, in fact, I wonder how many of y'all might qualify for that, but I won't ask anybody to raise their hands. <clears throat> but from this, what are we to learn? I want you to know that there are no red alerts in heaven. There is never a, an alarm klaxon sounding in heaven. There's no emergencies that cause God to say, what am I going to do now? You mess up and you do something that God didn't want you to do, and you're off in the weeds, off in the woods somewhere, and God does not say... I knew he was going to blow it. I just don't know what I'm going to do now. It's my whole plan down the drain. God never gets to that place. God is never without plans. I mean, it's, you can trust the Lord to provide for your every legitimate need, no matter the emergency, no matter the suddenness. We can confidently depend on him every time, every situation, anywhere, even when the impossible is suddenly required of you. Any of y'all ever had the impossible suddenly required of you? Somebody says, oh, by the way, you need to speak today. And you say, uh-uh. Or you need to do this, or you need to show up for that. Well, I can't. Well, it's required of you. When that happens to you, he, that is God, can be trusted to handle that. Because I'm here to tell you that in this world there is stuff. And that stuff that is impossible to plan for. It just hits you blindside. Bang! It's impossible to figure out, and as far as we can tell, it's impossible to fix by our great ingenuity. And when that emergency arises, and panic fills your heart, this isn't biblical, but it's, it's, it's good preaching. Don't sweat it, okay? 
Don't sweat it because we have a God who can handle it. We have a God who is large and in charge, and no matter how impossible it was for us, there's no panic in heaven. In fact, I remember the quotation, Corey Ten Boom. She was one of the, the, the people who suffered during the World War II. She wasn't a Jew, but her family had hidden some Jews, and so she and her sister were actually put into a concentration camp. She survived a concentration camp and, and preached Jesus all over the world after that. But Corey Ten Boom said it this way, There is no panic in heaven, only plans. Even when the need is the attack of the enemy. You know, sometimes it's, well, I need this, I need that. When the attack of the enemy comes, there's a wonderful verse in Proverbs. It's verse 25 of chapter 3. This is Proverbs 3.25. It says this, Do not be afraid of sudden fear, nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. And that word onslaught means storm or attack. Why? Why shouldn't I be afraid? Well, this is the reason in verse 26. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. When you're walking with that in your pocket, I mean, that's one of your memory verses. By the way, if you want to memorize that one, that's a good one. The Lord will be your confidence and He will keep your foot from being caught. When you're walking in the light of that command, let me tell you something. Then you can get verse 24 and it makes so much good sense. Verse 24 of chapter 3 says this, When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Friends, I'm here to tell you, God is on His throne. How are you sleeping lately? Are you missing sleep? Are you worried? Are you letting it all get to you? Are you or are you securely trusting in the provisional miracles of God? See, our problem is we get to the place where, no, I'm not really worried about what God's got to say. I mean, after all, I've got a job, and I'll provide for my own needs. I'm going to trust in my job. Okay, there is that, that, that option, I guess. No, 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 brother, I'm going to trust in my savings account. I've been putting a little away all these I'm going to trust in that. That'll take care of all my problems. Some of you might be thinking, I'm going to trust in my in-laws. I hope they don't mind. <clears throat> I'll just tell you, good luck with that. But most of the problem with our world is we're trusting not in any of those things, but we're trusting in our good deeds. That somehow this will earn my, my favor with God, my good deeds. Jesus is once again showing that no, all of those things are just emptiness. What you need is the Lord. Let the Lord be your confidence so that when it is necessary, when it is a legitimate need, when it's for His glory, for our good, and for the grace of those that are watching, God can be trusted to perform a provisional miracle. Now understand, there's a lot of those little caveats I put in there. You're not just going to go say, God, I really need to have a really good vacation this year, so what I'd really like you to do is give me a Winnebago full of $20 bills next week by Thursday. Amen. I'm believing God for a Winnebago full of $20 bills. Well, good luck with that. Because I have a feeling that's probably not necessary. It wouldn't be for your good, because if you had that, would you be trusting God or would you be trusting in your Winnebago full of $20 bills? By the way, I've tried to figure that up. It's a lot of money. Figure it out for me, science guy. But if you started trusting in that, you'd lose your trust in the Lord. It wouldn't be necessary. It wouldn't be good for you. It wouldn't be for the glory of God, and it wouldn't be for the grace of those watching, so you can't depend on that kind of a provisional miracle just because you wanted to twist God's arm and say, God, you said you'd pour it out, pour it out, pour it out. Let's go. God can be trusted, though, when it's necessary for His glory, for His good, or for our good, for His grace to others. He will perform that provisional miracle. But not only was this a provisional miracle, secondly, I want you to see it was a powerful miracle. And, and, and I pick on Darren a little bit as a science geek just a little bit because this is one of those that just it absolutely is amazing to me. The first place where he says this is a provisional miracle and, and it, it reveals God as Jehovah 
Jireh, the Lord our great provider. Well, in this one, this is revealing God as El Shaddai, the almighty God. Because you think about it, this was a powerful, creative work. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you think about this, they had a finite amount of bread and fish. They had seven fish, or seven small, seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. Enough you put it in one basket and it wouldn't be full. They had a finite amount of matter, of food. And then God's power is added to that finite amount of power, and 4,000 men and their families are fed out of that one little basket full of chow. That's an amazing, amazing, unnatural way to meet this need. In fact, you might even be willing to call it supernatural. And that same almighty El Shaddai God that said, let there be light, provided a dinner for that crowd. That's, that's God intervening in an impossible situation. That's God intervening with, intervening with a, an impossible solution. I wonder why we don't see more of that today. Is it because we're ashamed to ask? Is it because we're afraid to ask? Is it because I don't want to tell other people I'm trusting God or that I'm waiting for God to show up? No, what is it? God loves to show himself strong. God loves to show himself faithful on behalf of his children who are obediently walking with him. And yet, for some reason, we don't ask God to intervene. We go about trying to figure it out for ourselves. We don't expect God to do it. And so, because we can't imagine God doing it supernaturally, we plan it ourselves. We, uh, we improvise and we connive and, and we settle for what we can pull off. And then we say, look what God did. And I wonder, if that's all the world is seeing, no wonder churches are empty across America. All the while, there's a God waiting to pour out a blessing so great that we wouldn't have... He wants to pour out a blessing so great there wouldn't be baskets enough to haul it off. A blessing so great we wouldn't have room to receive it is what Scripture says. You remember that old song, Showers of Blessing? Anybody remember that song? There shall be showers of blessing. You know, that that one. I like the, 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 the end of it. Because showers of blessing, showers of blessing. We need mercy drops around me are falling, but for the showers we plead... I know people in this world who are in churches today around our country who they sing that song, they want showers of blessing, but then when the showers begin, they gripe about the rain. Because this is what it is. They're saying, okay, God, I want you to fill my cup up with some blessing, but I want a certain blessing, so I'm going to keep it like this till I see that blessing come. God's trying to bless you with all kinds of blessing, but I want this one. There, I got it, okay. And I caught my blessing. That's the only one I wanted, though, God. You can turn it off now because all the rest of that stuff, I'd just rather not have. I'd rather not do. Because if somebody wants to call me and ask me for some time, and I think, no, i gotta watch, I got to watch so-and-so. I got, there's a ball game on. I mean, that would be a blessing to come over to your house and minister to you. But you know what? That's, I've got my cup upside down on that one. I, just, I, want, I want the blessing that I want. And people all over the country right now today got their cup like this. Showers of blessing falling all around them, and they're complaining about the rain. Next time you pray, get ready for God, God to answer. Matter of fact, I don't, that's, forget that cup. Give me a cup. When God starts to pour out his showers of blessing, make sure you turn your cup right way up. And whatever he sends, allow him to bless you with it, and I guarantee you, your life will be richer, your heart will be bigger, and before you know it, you'll be experiencing blessings you never even dreamed 
that God could give you. It is a powerful miracle. And then, once it's full, drink deeply of the blessings of Almighty God. Because he'll do powerful miracles, provisional miracles. And I don't know how it'll come. It may come in the form of a second job. God, if he wants to provide for your needs, he may give you unexpected overtime or somebody's going to pay some long-forgotten debt or it's a gift or a donation or suddenly you're feeling better or suddenly that, that, that feeling of, of anxiety lifts off of you. The Scripture says that it is the Lord that gives us the power to get wealth. That means he gave you your job. He's in charge of your ability. He's the one that gave you the manual dexterity to do your job. It is the Lord who gives you the power to get wealth. That is to earn a living. It's also the Lord who gives you the power to get well. <clears throat> He's a healing God, whether it's by medicine or by miracle. He is the God that we can pray to and we can cry out to. When we pray for someone to be healed, do we mean it? Are we really expecting God to show up or does, are they just on the prayer list? You know, because they're on the list. Are we actually expecting and praying and asking God, Lord, I really do want you to intervene because you can. You're big enough. You're strong enough. You're God. You can do this. And so we're bringing it to you, Father, for we're helpless without you. He can... He can heal that person. He can pay their bills. He can cause them to prosper. Jesus was showing his men who would one day very soon have to believe God for themselves. He was showing his men who very soon would have to take care of their own needs and the needs of the church by faith that God, the Lord, can handle your problem. God can handle your need. God can lift up the heavy-hearted. One of the favorite scriptures of so many people is Isaiah chapter number 40, verse 31. But let me give you the lead into that. Because Isaiah is preaching to a bunch of hard-headed folks. He must have been preaching to Baptists, I'm sure. And he comes to them in verse 28. This is Isaiah 40, verse 28. says, Do you not know? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator of the ends of the earth? He does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. That means you're not going to figure it out. Just trust Him with it. His understanding is bigger than your little brain can handle. Verse, the next verse says, He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases strength. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. That's Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 to 31. Church, I'm here to tell you, and you know it, God the Lord the creator of all the ends of the earth and all that you can see in the great starry heavens <clears throat> he cares about your next meal. Yes, he does. He cares about your next job, should you need a new job. He cares about your next test, students, even to the point of doing a powerful, provisional miracle. But let me show you thirdly. It was not only powerful and provisional, it was practical. This wasn't some miracle. I mean, everybody out there was getting sunshine. Everybody out there could have been, been enjoying a nice, cool breeze. You, those are things that the Lord provides. But there was something else. Not only did Jesus in this miracle introduce God as Jehovah Jireh, the provider, not only did he introduce him as God, El Shaddai, the Almighty God, but now he's going to show him how this, this is God, our shepherd. He takes care of our practical needs. You know, a shepherd, his job is to make sure that the sheep eat and that they're not attacked. The shepherd, he's there to make sure they get to lie down by the still waters and that sort of thing. We're going to see here that this is a practical miracle because what was it that Jesus chose to do? He provided something very useful and practical to demonstrate his power, a meal. A simple, physical need met. It's very practical. It's in the, need, in the moment kind of a need. And hey, church, disciples it's back then, but all of us, God will, how can I say this? 
God will deal with your need in very practical ways, in tangible ways. God's care is best seen in the demonstration of his practical provision. And here was a meal. And by the way, it was nothing fancy, nothing luxurious. It's bread and fish. But you know what? They ate. The need was met. And I listen... In my own life, I can testify of times when God met, I mean, supernaturally, provisionally, powerfully, practical needs. When I was a kid, and I mean that by some of you younger folks, I was, I was 21. We had one child and one on the way. Sonny and I were just learning to follow God. We were just really learning a bunch of the things that we're still living today. <clears throat> but we were living in a little bitty shack down in Terrell, Texas. And I knew I was called to ministry, and I knew I was going to be doing things for the Lord, and I thought, well, I don't have any clothes. I mean, I worked at Walmart. You can't afford to, to rub two nickels together working for Walmart. Is that not, where's Jonathan? Jonathan's not here. Jonathan would say amen, or he, he wouldn't say amen. He'd nod. He don't say amen. I, I came to the conclusion, if the Lord wanted me to do something in church, I didn't have the right pair of shoes. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? You should have seen my shoes. I mean, I, it was looking like I was trying to wear flip-flops back in the day when you just didn't do that in public. It, they, it, they were that bad. That's all I had, though. And so I began to say, Sonia, I just really believe the Lord wants to give me a pair of shoes. I need a pair of shoes to go to church. I don't have shoes I can wear to church. And so she said, well, I think God wants to take care of us, and God can handle that. Sonia's always had more faith than me. And so she just says, okay, well, let's pray. If he'll clothe the lilies of the valley, surely he'll clothe your feet. And I thought, pray, don't you think you'd just give us the money, we'd go buy them? She said, no, let's pray. Or maybe I said that. One of us said that. So we began to pray, and for three or four or five weeks we prayed. Not every time. We weren't always on to this, God, give me some pair of shoes or I'm not going to love you. It wasn't that kind of a prayer. It was just, God, we, you know our needs. Please, I, I need a pair of shoes for church. It was four, maybe five weeks later, we came up to visit Sonia's mom and her stepdad, Bob. And uh, I'm sitting there talking to them. And I mean out of the clear blue sky. Now, all along, understand, we've been trying to be faithful at church. We've learned to start giving a little bit. And like I said, when you're working for Walmart, you can't give much. I mean, that's when the tithe is really faith, okay? <laughs> when, you're, when you're making $600 a month and 60 of us going to church, and you're thinking, I don't know what we're going to do. But that's, that's, we were learning that because we were giving it by tens, you know. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't 60 at a time. But anyway, we're sitting there at my, my mother-in-law's house, and Bob looks at me, and he says, Robert, Clear blue sky. I haven't told anybody. Me and Sonia know this. Nobody else. He says out of the clear blue sky, Robert, what size shoes do you wear? And I didn't even think a thing. Of, I thought he was looking at how ugly my shoes were because I had on those ugly shoes. And I said, well, it's between an eight and a half and a nine, I guess. He says, you know what? I think I might have some shoes that just fit you. And this is no lie. He pulls down the thing to get up in the attic. He crawls up in the attic, gets his box of shoes that's been up there long enough to have the dust on it where you can't read the label. He pulls out a pair of wingtip leather shoes, what we used to call doctor shoes. You remember? I mean, they were, they were kind of a, the burgundy color. I mean, a doctor would have been proud to have them. And I looked and I thought, all of a sudden it started to dawn on me. What's going on, Lord? And so he puts them down there, he says, step into that. And so I pulled my shoe off and I put my foot into that, and no kidding, it fit like it was mine. 
That shoe was already broke in. It had already gotten comfortable. I put them both on. I walked around the house with those, with those thick leather soles, and I'm walking around saying, God gave me a pair of shoes. What do I mean? I'm going to tell people about this the rest of my life. A provisional, practical miracle. We did the same thing with Sonia. Not, not long after that, we got a pair of shoes out of the deal. Well, Lord, what does Sonia need? Well, she was, as I said, she was becoming more and more great with child again because my second child was on his way. And we didn't have any dresses for her to wear to church. She's wearing pants and one of those big, you know, those flowing garments that they give to pregnant ladies back in the day. I mean, they were... Just... Anyway, she didn't have any dresses to wear. And so we said, well, you know what, we... We want to look good for church. Let's pray. Let's ask God to give you a dress. She said, no, let's, give, let's ask him for two dresses so I have different ones to wear. See, ladies understand that kind of thing. I just needed one pair of shoes. I got one set of feet. I only need one pair of shoes. She wants two dresses. All right, Lord. So we began to pray. Three weeks went by, and the next-door neighbor lady came over out of the blue. I mean, totally unexpected. She comes over, and she says... She visited with Sonia a little while. She said, out of the blue, you know, I've got some dresses I think would just fit you. Hang on just a minute. She walked back over to her house, got two dresses, brought them over, fit Sonia like they were made for her. And they were actually able to grow a little bit with her as she continued to <clears throat> expand. God just provided out of the blue two new dresses. And we just praised God. I mean, you, that night when we were doing our prayer time, you, you didn't have to worry about us praying some more. Because... We didn't know how it was going to happen, but our cup was right way up. Lord, however you want it to come, I'm ready for it. And it was a very practical, provisional, powerful miracle. Now, it's anecdotal. It just happened to me. But you know, the Bible says, King David said it this way, I have been young and now I am old. Yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. And you can depend on that for yourself today. Somebody says, well, now, wait a minute. Was that because you were trying to get all spiritual? Is that because you were called to ministry? No, no, it's because of the grace and love of God responding to a child of his asking for what they genuinely needed. And by the way, you don't ever earn God's grace. You didn't earn God's grace to get saved. You don't earn it later on by your good work. God's gifts are always grace. The health that we have, the joy that we experience, the families that we have, <clears throat> you don't earn anything. Okay, by tithing or by giving. Now, you can kink off the, the hose of God's blessing by being in sin. But God wants to bless you. It's His nature to bless. Jesus said it is His pleasure. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the, chill, the kingdom, is what Jesus said. So it was a provisional, powerful, practical miracle. Let me quickly finish with this. It was also, finally, a parable miracle. Because God never stops teaching. God never stops the learning. You're never going to stop finding out new things from God and, and learning and following Him better. It, it, was, it, was, it was training. And it's so interesting as I read it here in chapter 8, again back in Mark, verse number 2, when Jesus says to His disciples, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they'll fade on the way, and some of them will come a great distance. It's almost as if He's saying, now what comes next, guys? What's the next thing? You remember we did this the other day. What comes next? It's almost, I picture it like this. Nathan, do you make your own bed? What do you mean, no? How old are you again? At least he knows how to say the truth. God bless you, brother. You know, most of us, when we were seven or eight, our mom took us in our bedroom and said, now this is how you make the bed. 
And she showed us a couple, three times of how to tuck it underneath, put, fold the pillow over so it looked nice, you know, the way some of you still do your bed because that's just your habit. Now, I know a lot of us, we get out of the bed, we walk away and we think, why would I make it? I'm getting right back in it in the seven or eight hours. But, you know, you show a seven-year-old how to do that and you expect them to remember it. You show them two or three times. And then the next time you go in there and say, now, what comes first? What's next? How do you do this? And that's what Jesus is saying. Here's what comes next. This is the next thing you do. What are we doing next, disciples? And unfortunately, the disciples, they didn't, they didn't really get it. Because that verse 4 says the disciples, where are we going to be able to get food for all these people? Now, at least they didn't know how much food they had. Because the last time Jesus had to say, do you have anything to eat? I don't know. How much do you have? I don't know. They go, look. In this one, at least they knew. Well, we got seven loaves of bread. Okay, that's good. Now, when the Lord fed this crowd, it was not just to show off. It was not to prove a point. It was not to say, I'm Messiah and you're not, and that's why I can do this. Jesus never pulled stunts. He never engages in proof signs to demonstrate that he's so powerful. This was a provisional miracle designed and executed to teach us and them back then and the the, the, the message really still is his provision can be depended upon. And his provision is never too late. His provision will always be enough. And his provision will always get the job done. One of my favorite Old Testament scriptures that almost nobody ever, they just don't quote it because it's kind of a, it's a piece of prophecy. And a lot of people just, they ignore prophecy to their own harm, I think. But this is in Habakkuk verse three, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, the vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. Now, you read that, and you think, hmm, what's that all about? That says that the thing that God has promised, the vision, the thing that God is going to provide for you, it's going to come right on time. Prophecies of the Word of God, the provision that He's already promised you, God's provision will always be right on time. Never too little, never too late, never forgotten, and always right on time. You know... Herod asked Jesus to perform. When Jesus stood before Herod and he said, Hey, I've been wanting to see you. Why don't you do a miracle or something? Now, I'm putting a little bit of words into Herod's mouth, but he really, the Bible says that he had been hoping to see something. He'd been hoping to see a miracle. Jesus didn't do it. Jesus didn't perform for him like he was some kind of a circus clown asked to do a trick. The Pharisees wanted Jesus to do the same thing. Hey, show us a sign. Show us how to do something really exciting. We'll believe in you like some kind of a, of a magician pulling a rabbit out of his hat. Our God is not a performer seeking applause. He is a provider seeking the good of his own. He's a, a provider guaranteeing his watch care. He is our provider showing and demonstrating his compassion. But you know, as wonderful as this miracle was, and as incredible as these four lessons are, all those people that were fed that day, they got hungry again the next day. And they got to learn the lesson all over again of trusting God. They got hungry again the next day. So the message of the miracle is actually greater than the miracle. The meaning of the miracle is deeper than the feeding that God sees and God has compassion. God provides in unexpected ways. And you know what? This feeding is not even the greatest provisional miracle in the Scripture. You say, oh, no, it was the 5,000 fed. No, it was bigger than that. Oh, yeah, it was the manna in the wilderness because millions of people ate for 40 years. That's got to be the greatest provisional miracle in the Scripture. No, no, it's not. Well, what is then? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. The greatest provisional miracle in all of history was the cross. We can look at the life of the Lord Jesus where he identified with us as a man, where he came into the earth and bore our likeness and still bears our likeness, by the way, to show that he could feel and live and love and be, be, be one of us. And then we can see the death that he died. The death that he died to pay our sin debt. The death that he died in order to be the propitiation. That means the full payment, the complete wiping out of our debt in his death. But then the burial. A lot of people skip over the burial. Why was he buried? He was buried to carry our guilt and our shame far away, as far as the east is from the west, out of God's sight. Your guilt is gone. Out of my sight, my shame needs to be because of the burial of the Lord Jesus. But then the Scripture tells us he rose again to give us new life. He rose again to give us new life. I want to I read you just a small section of the book of Romans here. And this is for you, brother. We'll put a lot of verses together. This is Romans chapter 6. Paul says it this way. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer his master, his master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that the final thing I'd like to say is that provision is available. The provision of his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection is available to all men. And the question is, have you received have you taken advantage of that provision? Now, I know most of us here, we can say, yes, many years ago, I chose. Many years ago, I, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Since then, stuff has happened, right? Since then, a lot of the things that we knew that God would do for us because he's, he's our God and he's our, he's our Lord and he's taken care of, some of us have begun to doubt that. We've begun to let the, the worries and the doubts and the, the panic get in between us and our God. I'm here this morning to ask you, Let's put our faith and trust again in that provisional, almighty, practical God and remember that He can take care of everything we need today, tomorrow, and from every day from now through all of eternity. And He wants to. He wants us to trust Him in that kind of a way so that as the miracles happen, we don't just think, well, that's because brother so-and-so down the road, he just thought of me. No, that was God. And turn your cup the right way up and let God bless you this week. Let's pray.